Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, St. Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, and so it is that he also writes to us when he says this, I urge you, first of all, that in request, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, that these things be made for everyone, especially those who are in authority, that you may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is pleasing to our Father who is in heaven, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is the very word of our God as it is found for us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Well, you know, there's many things in our life that we cannot, uh, cannot give to others. For example, we can't give to others what we don't have. But there's one thing that all of us can give, and that is we can pray for others. You know, the last couple of weeks we've been hearing about prayer. We've been hearing from a group in church who have uh, raised the emphasis of prayer here at Christ our King. And I want to personally thank you who are raising the awareness and the importance of our prayer life. In today's epistle lesson, the Apostle Paul speaks to Timothy, a young pastor, and he gives Timothy and us some rather important instructions concerning our prayer life. It's a duty of every Christian to fulfill this, uh, not only publicly, but privately. And today, in a rather pointed way, God points us to His rightful expectations concerning prayer. Christian prayer, of course, is very personal. And it's a wonderful privilege for us who are called to be the children of the Heavenly Father to pray not only for ourselves, but for others. But you know, we must admit that at times we neglect this awesome privilege. Why is that? Well, sometimes we neglect it by not praying at all or by not praying very frequently. Sometimes we do it by praying selfishly, or mechanically, or only in certain places, or only at certain times. And sometimes we forget that when we pray in faith, we have a marvelous mediator. None other than Jesus Christ Himself, who gave His life as a ransom for us all. And that brings me to my first point of acceptable prayer. Acceptable prayer to God must always, always, always be through Jesus. Now this may come as a shock to some people, but much of what is called prayer today in our culture, in our society, you'd be hard-pressed to call it godly prayer. True prayer, acceptable prayer, comes or involves a trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin. You and I have access to the Father, Scripture tells us, only through Jesus. He alone is the way. And that is basic to our prayer life. His redemptive action on our part is absolutely, absolutely basic for acceptable prayer. Again, as a child of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, we know that the door to God stands open, ready to receive our prayers, our intercessions, and our thanksgiving. 
Jesus put it this way. He says, all things whatsoever you ask in my name, believing, believing, you shall receive. But again, sadly, many people in our culture today pray without even using the name of God or the name of Christ our God. They consider it to be what? Politically incorrect. So it begs the question, then, who are they praying to? Are they praying to some unknown God? Are they praying to all gods? And is this kind of prayer acceptable to God? No. The kind of praying that God wants us to do is always in the name, always in the name of Jesus. Secondly, Paul reminds Timothy, and he also reminds us that prayer, our prayer life is a critical part of our worship. You see, the church that uh, Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus was a struggling congregation. They received constant threats from the Roman government. There were the Jewish legalists that were giving them all kinds of problems. There were pagan, literally religious practitioners. And on top of that, there were all kinds of Greek philosophers. And so the church became very fearful and very timid under Timothy's leadership. Again, their worship became, as Isaiah said, a, a time where they would come together and wallow in their self-pity. That they considered themselves to be victims of circumstances. Poor old me. When our prayers, when our worship life becomes turned in on itself, that's not a good thing. But a church that prays and looks to a gracious God and mediator will look with love toward others and to a world that is in need. In our prayers, how do you learn how to pray in confirmation class? Those uh, letters spelled out acts, right? Acknowledging that God is our Heavenly Father. Acknowledging the greatness of God. It's important. Confessing our sins before Him. Coming before Him in all truth and honesty. Confessing our sins with a promise that He's faithful to, con to uh, forgive us our sins. And then the teeth, praying with thanksgiving in our heart. And finally, asking God to supply our needs. Verse 2 reminds us that we are to pray for everybody. Even those who hurt us. Even for those who throw us under the bus. You know, one of the side benefits of prayer is that it changes the way we look at things. It changes our attitude toward other people. As we pray for others in the name of Jesus, we should no longer be content to remain at odds with that person. Instead, we want what is best for them. And prayer has a powerful way of changing us first and our attitude toward those around us. So my challenge to you today would be this. Every day, pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who throw you under the bus. Pray for those who offend you. Secondly, prayer also has to do with Christian outreach. Whenever Christians gather together, they are to pray for the world. 
They are to pray for those who do not yet know Jesus as their Savior from sin. Verses 3 and 4 tells us that this is good. And this is pleasing to God. Why? Because God desires the whole world to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Acceptable prayer is never selfish. It always includes the welfare of others. If we are to love our neighbor as ourself, then most certainly we need to pray for them. And much of our peace and much of our happiness depends upon identifying ourselves lovingly with others. If we pray for someone, then we will also identify putting that faith into action and seeking to make a difference in their life, as Jenny said so powerfully this morning. If we sincerely pray for others, all other acts of love will more readily follow as a matter of course. Now in Paul's day, it was especially important to urge Christians to pray for one another and to pray also for those who are in authority. Why do you think that is? Because the Christian church was under persecution from the Roman government, Jewish legalists, pagans, Greek philosophers. It was attacked on every side. God urges us to pray for our rulers, pray for our leaders, that God would work and change their hearts. You know, it's safe to say that a government, that people in government are people who are preeminently in need of Christian prayer. There's a good reason for that. Because people in government wield great power for good or for evil. And if they fail in their duties, if they're unscrupulous, if they're dishonest, then the course of the Gospel will be hindered. You know, yesterday I was reading something. I always find words fascinating. You've heard of the word falsehood before, haven't you? Where did that word falsehood come from? It used to be back in the Middle Ages, people wore different kinds of hoods to identify their occupation. A farmer wore one color of hood. A, uh, a baker might have wore another color of hood, just like people sometimes today are identified by the kind of hats that they wear. But in the time in the Middle Ages, sometimes people would use a hood to deceive someone else by trying to fool them, pretending to be something that they weren't. So it's where you get the word falsehood from. A falsehood. The devil is in the falsehood business. He seeks to deceive us. He seeks to tell us that there is another way to be saved. If ever there was a time for us to pray for those who are in our government, our country, our nation, and our upcoming elections, it's today, don't you think? In fact, the history of the world shows us time and time and time again that when a God-fearing ruler is in charge, for the most part, things in the country go well. As the leader goes, so often goes the people. Now, I've got to tell you, I must confess that sometimes I get so disgusted with the direction that our nation is heading that I don't feel like praying for them. 
I really don't feel like praying for them. And that's a sin on my part, a sin I must confess to God and pray God for forgiveness. If anyone needs our prayers, it is our leaders. Finally, Paul urges us in verse 2, he says, pray that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and holiness. Outward peace, inward tranquility will not only make for better living here on this earth, but it will make godliness and honesty all the more possible in our life. Of course, our world really doesn't have much to think or much to say about uh, quietness, quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. The world really doesn't think too much of that, isn't it? The world is in love with din or noise. Constantly got to have noise. The world says, eat, drink, and be merry. Today you live, tomorrow you die. So you better grab for all the gusto you can get while you can get it. Our world doesn't think much of godliness. But you know what? You and I are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Not only for a life in heaven, but here on earth. In this life, we are to reflect, as Jenny said, the love of Christ. We are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the high objective of acceptable prayer for the Christian is found in these words. This is good. And this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord who desires all people to be saved. Remember this, your life, my life, it's not some aimless moat. It's not some deathward drift. But your life as a Christian, never forget it, is one of great purpose. And that great purpose is what? That all people might be saved. That God might use us in some little way to make a difference in the lives of others. You know, think about how great it will be when you get to heaven someday, and maybe you see just one other person up there that God used you in some little way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest service that we can render for ourselves and for others is to pray. To pray that God's kingdom would live in our hearts and in the hearts of our fellow men. More than anything else, more than any of us realize, we have a powerful weapon in this battle. And that weapon is what? It's prayer. So let us use prayer as a powerful weapon to the glory of God for the welfare of those whom we pray for and for our own great joy. In His name we ask it. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come before you today in prayer. And we know the only reason we can approach you in prayer is because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be a people of prayer, to pray for one another, not just at certain times or certain places, but to pray praise and give you thanks for the great blessings that you have given to us in our Savior. We do indeed pray for our nation. We pray for our elections. We pray for our leaders. We pray, Lord, that, that you would call them to be people of faithfulness to you. That 
they would recognize that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we're not. And so, Lord, help us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in everything that we do. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. We stand as we confess our Christian faith. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. Heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, Father and the Son, together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.